ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Welcome into the Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. I'm your host, Will Gray. Uh, pleased to be joined once again by Golf Channel analyst Brandel Chambly. Brandel, it is Ryder Cup week. We have made it through seemingly an endless PGA Tour season. The FedEx Cup is behind us. A new season awaits next week. But right now, we have perhaps the most anticipated event of the entire year. 12 Europeans, 12 Americans ready to brawl at Le Golf National outside Paris. I know I'm excited. I know you're excited. We finally made it. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like the Ryder Cup in golf. And there's, you know, I think in the world of sport, there's really only a couple of events that people would uh, would say are, are bigger. Obviously, the World Cup, soccer, the Olympics. But, uh, but after that, I mean, I think you get to the Ryder Cup. I mean, it has a, a broader appeal than, than just our golf audience. And uh, the fact that Tiger and Phil are, are back playing on the same team again uh, makes it even more compelling. Well, we're certainly going to uh, address that in, in a couple minutes here. I know you've got a piece up today on GolfChannel.com uh, discussing Tiger and Phil and, and their important role for the Americans. But it seems like just going into this, that there is somehow even more anticipation, more excitement, more attention than there was two years ago at Hazeltine, or certainly four years ago in Scotland. When you go down the world rankings, it seems like everyone outside of Jason Day near the top is going to be in Paris this week. The U.S. always has a strong team, but the Europeans are also packing plenty of punches as well. When you look at the odds right now, the, the Americans are favored, despite the fact that they haven't won in Europe in 25 years. Do you feel like on paper they deserve to be the favorites going into the Ryder Cup? That's a good question. Yes, probably, but, but barely. I mean, just I haven't looked at the odds to see how significant they are in favor of the United States. But it's about about minus one sixty. So you bet okay, bet one sixty so, to win a hundred. Right. Um, you know, I, I you know, I've heard people say it's going to be a blowout, and I've heard people say, and you know, it's hugely uh, uh, in favor of the United States. I don't I don't see it that way. Um, you know, I, I could make an argument that. You know, Europe uh, has the upper hand here in a lot of different ways. You know, on paper, as it's usually the case, the United States, uh, they're the favorite. But, you know, the home country advantage is almost a three-point advantage. It's right at a three-point advantage. And, 
when you start to look at the way the golf course is going to be set up, it's going to be set up to highlight or to punish the weaknesses of the United States team. And I think that'll be particularly evident in the foursomes play um, because we just do not have uh, what you would call a straight driver on the team. Um, on the entire United States team, there's just not a straight driver. The straightest driver is, is Ricky Fowler, who the last time I looked was 60th in driving accuracy, and the whole the team averages about 130th in driving accuracy. And this is a golf course where you have to drive it in a fairway. The rough is going to be very punishing. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'd make an argument right now that uh, that Europe is is the favorite. I can. Uh, I'm not sure I'd come around to them being the favorite, but I do think it's closer than maybe the books are, are setting it up as right now. And you bring up the golf course, and I wanted to ask you about that because I, I think this is a fascinating and perhaps undersold aspect of the Ryder Cup that many fans might not realize that there is an home, a home field advantage in that the home team gets to set up the course. And when you look back at how the U.S. set up Hazeltine two years ago especially and also going back to Medina in 2012, they wanted birdies. And Thomas Peters said a couple weeks ago that, that he bristled at the notion that the Ryder Cup two years ago became a putting contest, that there weren't a lot of trouble that you could spray the ball like Phil Mickelson did two fairways across and still get away with it. This is a very different beast, and perhaps I feel like the golf course is going to be a bigger factor this time than maybe the last two or three Ryder Cups that have been in Europe when you think back to Celtic Manor or Glen Eagles, but I think we're going to see a lot of holes, one with par or even bogey. There's going to be some splashdowns. There are going to be some squares on those scorecards. It might not be like we saw with Sergio and Phil putting up nine, ten birdies apiece two years ago at Hazeltine. Do you agree? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, more won the French Open this year uh, on that golf course. He did finishing second in fairways hit. Um, the fellow who led in fairways had a chance to win as well. Uh, last year, it was Tommy Fleetwood who won there. He was third in fairways hit. That is the type of golf course this is. It's the type of golf course where 10 years ago, Tim Clark would have won. There is no equivalent to that player on the, on the United States side. There's seven of those players on the European side. Uh, the European side drives the ball so much better than the United States. So this is going to be a huge dilemma for them, a huge dilemma. And again, um, Tiger and Phil are on the United States team. Tiger and Phil have been on seven teams together. Uh, they've eked out one win out of seven. That is not a coincidence. Eked out. They barely won the 1999 uh, Ryder Cup, their team. Uh, they are they are 1-6-0 in those seven teams. There is a group dynamic there that is not being considered. There's the inaccuracy of the United States team that's not being considered. There's the familiarity of the golf course that Europe has uh, that's not really being considered. And when you add all that together, you know, I think uh, right now Europe would be the slight favorite. You know, on paper, it's not that big a differential. I mean, the United States team is in a, did the average world rank last year? They're twelfth, and Europe is nineteenth. I mean, this is not a huge differential, really. Um, and again, uh, the way the golf course is set up, you know, I, I I can understand Thomas Peters complaining about the way 
Hazeltine was set up, but it was the United States' turn to set the golf course up, and they, they, they were right to do it that way. They don't drive it straight, so they should set it up where inaccurate drives can, can still play the holes. But, you know, this time, Thomas Bjorn gets to set it up, and it'll be quite the reverse of what we saw with Hazeltine. Well, you mentioned Tiger and Phil, and, and certainly they're going to be a huge part of the American puzzle as they try and win in Europe for the first time since 93. As I mentioned earlier, you've got a, a great piece up right now on GolfChannel.com heading into to Ryder Cup week, and you talk about the group dilemma and the group dynamic that involves Tiger and Phil both being on the team at the same time. Remember, Tiger wasn't there in 08 when the U.S. won at Valhalla. He wasn't there two years ago as a player, at least at Hazeltine, but now you've got both guys in the midst of resurgent seasons. They both made the Tour Championship. Phil certainly got his victory after five years in Mexico. It's been a lot of pluses for both players, but now are we shifting to a situation where there's a burden or a little bit of pressure back on not only them, but also on Jim Furyk in terms of how he's going to massage the roster and how he's going to handle those two guys, because we all think back to 04 and Hal Sutton. He tried to put them together, and it went about as poorly as possible and torpedoed the entire week, pretty much, for, for the Euro, uh, U.S. team at Oakland Hills. Your thoughts uh, over the top on, on Furyk and how he handles Tiger and Phil? Well, there hasn't been a captain who has sufficiently sleuthed out the, the proper way to handle Tiger and Phil, and, and that's not a knock on the captain. I mean, this is quite the enigma. Uh, I make the case in my column that there perhaps has never been two stronger personalities uh, in the history of the United States team than Tiger and Phil. These are these are alpha males all the way, um, you know. And in particular, Phil. You know, Phil is, and look, and look, he's he's a bright guy. He's interested in things. He's curious. He knows a lot. But you know, it's it. it I don't think it's a coincidence that when you look at Phil's record. He's played, you know, he's played with 15 different players. He only has a, a winning record with three of them, but with Davis Love, Jim Furyk, David Duvall, Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson, uh, he's 07 and 0. So anytime he's around, sort of another alpha male, uh, it's I don't I don't think that's a coincidence. 07 and 0. You're, I mean, these are enormously talented players: Woods, Duvall, Furyk, DJ Love. Uh, three number one players in the world there. Um, and they'll all be in the Hall of Fame. Oh uh, seven and oh. So, you know, it's, uh, there is a dynamic there, and there is a plethora of literature out there about how to handle leaders, multiple leaders on a team. There's a, there's a plethora, there's books about this, there's conferences about this. It's an incredibly uh, challenging dynamic for a captain. I don't think it's any coincidence that when you start talking about the greatest captains of all time in Ryder Cup uh, play, two names that pop up, and perhaps they're the two greatest captains ever, are Paul Azinger and Paul McGinley. And both of them had a keen interest in the individual, you know, the, the psychology of every single player on their teams. Paul Azinger was dealing with six rookies in 2008, and he was able to overcome that, um, I think, with a... a variety of strategies, you know, most commonly known is, is pods, but there were other things that worked there. And, and Paul McGinley had one of the most mercurial players maybe ever in the Ryder Cup. Victor, Victor Dubuisson. That's D. right. He spent, an, he spent an almost year trying to understand Victor Dubuisson, and he 
he sort of co-opted the tea times over there and clandestinely would put Graham McDowell with Victor Dubuisson so that he could make a friend out of Victor. He could get to know Victor. He could handle Victor. And Victor played three matches in that Ryder Cup, and he was not beaten. You know, there were, you know, there's, you cannot just show up willy-nilly and, and, and expect these dilemmas to sort of work themselves out. You have to pay some attention to them, uh, rather clandestinely or, or, or overtly. And, and no captain has been able to do that. Now, both Tiger and Phil have shown sort of a generosity of spirit more recently towards the Ryder Cup. And perhaps, you know, that'll mitigate uh, the dilemma that is Tiger and Phil on a Ryder Cup, but it hasn't proven to be so yet. It hasn't happened yet. So not only is that dilemma still there and as of yet has not been solved, they're playing on foreign soil. So all of those things, you know, are are enough to, uh, I would imagine, concern Jim Furyk. Well, I think when you start to peel back the onion for Furyk, he's talked about how difficult it was. You know, the toughest job a captain has is making those picks and making those phone calls to the guys that didn't make the team. But I think very shortly behind that on the list is figuring out the pairings, figuring out more importantly who you're going to sit for each session. It seems like this American team, before we switch over to, to the European side, it seems like more so than in years past, there are some logical and natural pairings going on with the U.S. side. You've seen Tiger and Bryson form this bromance. You've got the Bash brothers and DJ and Kepka. Certainly Spieth and Reed speak for themselves. Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler and Bubba Watson and Webb Simpson have played together in Ryder Cups before. And that would leave Phil with the newcomer, Tony Fina. You talked about that he might he doesn't play as well with an alpha male. Tony, being a great guy, I don't think would qualify as an alpha male, certainly not on that team. What are your thoughts on potentially a Phil Finau pairing? I know that there are going to be some moving parts. We're not going to have static pairings throughout the first two days, but the, the pieces for the American side, at least to begin with, seem a little bit in place. Yeah, the Finau and Phil seems seems an obvious one, and you're right. You know, uh, Finau, the great advantage of having him on the team is that he – He's uh, such an easygoing personality that he would match well with anybody in terms of, of, of that aspect of, of a dynamic. Uh, I think Ricky Fowler sort of fits that that mold that would pair nicely uh, with uh, with Phil Mickelson. Um, the U.S. side is not going to have any problem finding four ball partners. They are going to have a problem. Like for example, just watch if you're just you're watching the Tour Championship this week. They're talking about how thick the rough is. Okay, so who's right at the bottom? Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Bryce DeChambeau. This is the bottom of the field, right? Um, and Patrick Reed. I mean, Bubba Watson. I mean, these these are the guys who are at the bottom of the field. So they're, the rough's going to be worse when they get to the French Open. So trying to find four teams that are going to pair well in foursomes is going to be a Incredible challenge for Jim Furyk, uh, and it's it's not at all going to be a challenge for Thomas Bjorn to find four teams. So, you know, yeah, there's 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 a lot of talent on the United States team, no question about it. But finding guys that can drive it straight, you know, the straightest drivers on the team, as I said, are Ricky Fowler, who last time I checked was 60th in driving accuracy. And then Webb Simpson, who's 92nd. Hmm. And then Bryson DeChambeau, who's 96th. 
and Jordan Spieth, who's 99, and that's it. Those are the only players that are in the top 100. You know, and then, you know, I mean, you start to think about Molinari, Rose, Fleetwood, McElroy, Norin, Stent. Believe it or not, Poulter is driving it very straight this year. Uh, Casey, Garcia, when he's on, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not even a fair fight if when it comes to a driving contest. And, you know, we, we get caught up in strokes gain off the tee over here, which is a relative statistic. You know, what's more important at, at uh, the Golf National is, is more total driving. You know, who drives it long and straight? It's an old metric, but it matters when there, there's a penalty in the rough. It really does matter. Strokes gain off the tee, you can just throw it out the window because that, that's a relative statistic versus, you know, basically who is the straightest, crookedest driver. It's like who can hit it long and who can hit it straight. That's what matters. So I would be I would be very curious to see, you know, it may just, I mean, obviously you're going to expect to see Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson together. No question about it. You're going to see Spieth and Reed together. And they're going to hope this just works out in the wash. You're going to see Woods and Bryson DeChambeau together. And they're going to hope that it, and by the way, Woods may end up being the straightest driver on the team because what he's doing the last two outings you know, he's swinging, you know, without the power of 2000, he's swinging about as well as I've ever seen him swing since 2000. So, you know, it's it's fantastic that he's sort of found some form. Um, so he may end up just being the straightest driver on the team. And uh, who knows, maybe play all five matches, which would be incredibly exciting to watch. Imagine saying those words around like January 15th of this year that A, Tiger's going to be on the Ryder Cup team, B, he might just be the straightest guy out of all 12 of them, and C, I could see him playing all five matches. We didn't know if he was going to play five right. competitive rounds of golf in 2018. No, I, you know, you just cannot say enough about how unlikely what Tiger is doing is. You know, you just can't, you can't state it, you can't underscore it enough. You just, it, it's it's incredible. I never, ever thought I would see this. Never. I never thought I'd see Tiger Woods playing golf like this. There's nobody on the tour, in my opinion, that swings the club better than Tiger. Nobody. I mean, it is just gorgeous to watch. There's so much there for the eye. You know, it, it hits all the right lines. You know, it, it's got enough pop. You know, he's not as fast as he was early in the year, but it, it's got it's a much quieter transition. It's got rhythm now. Got uh, you know beautiful technique, beautiful aesthetics, tons of charisma. I mean, no, I mean, he's got this incredible charisma when he hits golf shots that just, just you know, it just makes you watch, makes you lean in. You're like, what's he going to do here? And he's got every single shot on command. I mean, he can hit it high, he can hit it low, he can work it left to right, he can work it right to left. Um, and there's this, there's this when you're watching a good player who's right on the button golf swing there's so much more golf swing on the forward side of the ball on the target side of the ball there's the right shoulder carries more down the line there's more rotation through the shot you know there's because there doesn't have to be any compensation to the ball you think back to tiger woods from say 2005 till really recently there's so much up at the ball you know jumping up high right shoulder trying to save it there's not this full extension through the shot because he's making compensating moves. And you have to go all the way back to 2000, 2001 to find as much movement as Tiger Woods has on the forward side of the golf ball, the target side of the golf ball. 
And, I mean, you just have to see one. You don't even have to see where the ball goes. You can just see all the freedom through the ball, and you're like, that's right on the button. It's right on the button. He hit it exactly where he wanted to. It's beautiful to watch. There's nobody really in golf save Adam Scott um, that looks as good doing it. Uh, and, again, there's just some element to Tiger Woods' golf swing that is even more visceral or more has more charisma even than Adam Scott's golf swing. There's just something about it. Uh, I want to go back real quick uh, to your comments about foursomes because I think that everyone, all the American golf fans that were watching uh, Glenn Eagles in 2014 know that foursomes or alternate shot, depending on how you want to call it, that is what sunk the battleship of the U.S. team four years ago. They went one and seven in those two sessions. And, and I, there's always this sentiment that the Europeans have the edge in the team format matches, specifically foursomes, and that the Americans, if they can keep it at or around even, are going to have depth on their side and going to have an advantage Sunday come singles. But is this foursome set up, is it, is it going to be make or break for the U.S. side to at least keep it in, in the game coming out uh, in alternate shot versus what we saw certainly four years ago. They, they can't have that sort of whitewash that they had at Glen Eagles, but is it that decisive for them if they're going to try and get this elusive first win in 25 years in Europe? Yes, it is. It's going to be that important to them. And it's going to be that important to them that they put together foursomes teams that, uh, that can be competitive. And you know, trying to divine out the best foursome team, uh, you know, is it's not that easy. I mean, right now, you know, it, it maybe it's Woods and DeShambo, but DeShambo's in a little bit of a mess right now, and uh, this golf course is going to be very similar to that. But, yes, I, I, I suspect the foursomes will be, will be, you know, the linchpin of, European success. Well, we shall see. It's it certainly it's been an interesting pattern, let's say, over the last of the last few Ryder Cups, and it, it has become this strength of the European team. Even though some of the players, like you mentioned, McDowell, that were so good in alternate shot, have cycled out, and now he's a vice captain this time around. But I want to switch sides. I want to look at at Team Europe for a minute because I think everyone looked at Jim Furyk's four picks, and those were about as slam dunk easy of selections as any Ryder Cup captain has had in Tiger, Phil, Bryson, and then Tony Finau. But Thomas Bjorn had a lot more questions in picking Stenson, Poulter, Casey, and Sergio. Did any of those four picks surprise you, given the talent pool that he also had available? Guys like Matt Fitzpatrick, Rafa Cabrera-Bello, Matt Wallace, Russell Knox, other top Europeans that were, were left home for the four veterans that he chose. Yeah, I was. I was surprised. I mean, you can make arguments, but I was surprised he chose Casey over Rafa Cabrera-Bello. I wasn't surprised at all that he had chose Garcia, uh, chose Garcia uh, for a couple of reasons. Garcia uh, played very well at the French Open. I know he didn't play well at all this year, but he, he did play very well at the French Open. He had a 64 in the, um, in the third round which proved to be the lowest score shot all week. I mean, you're talking about a golf course where, I mean, it's very hard to even break 70. There were only, you know, just a few rounds below 70, really, and he shot 64 in the third round, finished eighth. Um, and that Garcia had, 
you know, he had talked to the players on the team, some key players on the team, and let them know that things were on the mend, that he was in a better state of mind, uh, his head was in a good place. Uh, and that, you know, obviously made its way to Thomas Bjorn. So I think his worries, whatever they might have been about Garcia, his game, um, and sort of where his head was at, were uh, were alleviated there. You know, and look, I mean, Paul Casey is is a heck of a player, no question about it. I mean, world class all the way. Um, but I would have I would have chosen Rafa Cabrera Bayo. Um, you know, Rafa Cabrera, you know, hits the ball better. Um, you know, arguably hits the ball better. Um, I think he would have been an easier uh, player to lean on in various formats, foursomes, and whatnot. Uh, he does doesn't have any weaknesses really in his game whatsoever. And you know, Bryson, or excuse me, uh, Paul, well, he uh, he has a habit of of not playing well when the heat is on him. You know, he's played in three Ryder Cups. And out of a possible 15 matches, he's only played nine, which tells you that his captains have been a little bit nervous to play him. And in 2010, he was seventh in the world, and he didn't get picked. It tells you that his captains were a little nervous to pick him. And that's because of his, uh, his, his inability to play his best golf when the heat is on him. And, you know, he... He, you know, the later the round gets, um, the worse Paul Casey plays. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing in the morning or in the afternoon at the Ryder Cup. Every tee time feels like a late Sunday tee time. And I think that would have had to been considered. And I'm, I, I'd be surprised if that wasn't on Thomas Bjorn's mind. Well, I think a, a big part, and certainly in his explanation for picking the four veterans, was the fact that. While the U.S. only ended up with three rookies after adding Bryson and Tony Finau, out of the eight guys that qualified automatically, you've got five rookies for the Europeans. John Rahm, Alex Noren, Tommy Fleetwood, Terrell Hatton, and Thunderbear Thorbjorn Olesen. So of that group, you know that one of those guys is going to step up, going to have a three-in-one week or something like that, akin to what we saw from Thomas Peters two years ago, or even Rafa when he went 2-0-1 in his debut at Hazeltine. But of the five European rookies, who do you have your eye on as a potential standout performance or a guy that could really put his stamp on this week's matches in a big way? Well, you know, the, the rookie dilemma is almost completely negated when they're at home. Um, many instances of that um, are, are an example. As I just talked about a, a little while ago, Paul Azinger had six rookies in his 2018, but he had the advantage of, of being at home. The same data can be found when Europe has had five, six rookies. When they're at home, the rookie mistake or the rookie dilemma, if you want to call it that, is, is, is mitigated to some extent. But, but Tommy Fleetwood has played you know, so well on this golf course, uh, you know, and, and, you know, he's played well in major championships. So I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a stud. I think Rom is going to be a stud. Uh, you know, I just don't, I can't imagine how those two players are not going to, you know, stand out. They're just, I think, um, you know, Rom is a, is very much a confrontational kind of player. In a Ian Poulter or uh, 
Patrick Reed kind of way. He's kind of an in-your-face kind of guy. Um, and Fleetwood is, you know, I would put him more along the lines of a, in terms of just methodically getting his work done, um, like a Faldo, but he's got this this wonderful way about him. It's this wonderful personality that meshes well with, with everybody. So, I mean, they're dream, dream players to have on your team, you know, just, just oozing with talent. Um, one of them's got fire, and uh, and the other one is just you know marvelously suited to play with anybody. See, so, the more the more, I, we, I would, the more we talk, you're bringing me around to this whole idea that Europe might just end up with this trophy by the end of the and week. Then, and then I haven't even got to Alex. Norris, I know, I know. Who won? Who won the French Open on that golf course? Um, you know, he shot 65, 67 the last two rounds. I mean, he's just you know just a, a, a one of you know he's he's kind of a mini Henrik Stenson yep. in terms of the way he hits golf shots, and you know I mean the golf course sets up beautifully for him. So you know I uh, again I I don't put as much stock in the rookie issue that people are talking about with Europe because it you know it's a home game for them. Home game indeed, and I'm sure that the partisan Parisian crowds are going to be out in full force. Now we mentioned earlier that it, it's. Nothing short of shocking to see Tiger making this team, playing as well as he is, and it's something that we never would have thought, you know, six, eight, ten months ago. And I would say the following statement would have also been e incomprehensible six, eight, ten months ago. Is Jordan Spieth the biggest question mark on the American side? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, he's he's not the straightest driver, um, and he's really been struggling with his uh with the thing that makes him so dangerous which is you know breaking your heart uh with a putter um so you know i mean again on this golf course there's a lot of question marks you know but if i'm looking at this field yeah i mean and it, isn't that a wonderful thing to say that jordan spieth is is uh is the biggest question mark because you know he's he's temperamentally perfectly suited to um to play match play you know and he's the type of player that can like a he's a bit like a jose or a Seve in that he's better driver than either of them were but um he he can get you if you're playing him he can get you excited that he's Mr. Fairway, and he's in trouble, but he's a phenomenal iron player like Jose Maria Olazabal, and he's got a phenomenal uh, ability to scramble like Seve Ballesteros, you know. So, I mean, that part of Jordan Spieth's game is is not tailed off a bit. His ability to hit incredible pitch shots, chip shots, bunker shots, and whatnot. So, um, and he's he's an in-your-face sort of competitor. So, you know, he's temperamentally perfectly suited and. Just the nature of his game, I think, is perfectly suited for match play, and I think that you know that's one of the reasons why he and Patrick Reed have paired up so well. It's because they're they're similar players in that you know they're they're not great drivers of the golf ball, but they're bold players and they're great scramblers and they're fiery. Um, so you know I, I I wouldn't worry too much about Jordan Spieth, and I'm sure uh, Furyk isn't. 
Oh, the broad shoulders of Captain America, I'm sure, will be able to lift him to whatever heights they need to. <laughs> Patrick Reed is going to be shushing everyone within a 100-yard radius. Uh, he might wear the green jacket to the first tee. I don't, I don't know what, what he's going to have up his sleeve, but I'm sure it's going to be something. Uh, well, it's certainly <laughs> it's, it's an embarrassment of riches for the U.S. side, certainly similar situation for the Europeans. You've laid out a lot of reasons why perhaps this is going to be closer than many experts think. But given, I'll give you your choice of all 24 players. When we get to the end of the matches on Sunday, who is your MVP from either side? MVP either side. Well, Rose is Rose is going to be the MVP for the European side. It's okay. just, he's just playing too well. I mean, there's just nothing that that guy doesn't do well now. Nothing. And, uh, I mean, Europe is going to have lots of stars on that team on the u.s side uh it's, it's likely going to be tiger you know i i mean it could very well be tiger I, again i just i haven't seen tiger woods there's a there's a there's a side to tiger woods that makes me think he's completely changed and that he is he's 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 got that elder statesman sort of quality to him but there's there's something more to it than that you know it's i i never would have used the word and maybe it's not completely accurate, but affable. I mean, when you watch him interviewed, he's he's affable. He's he smiles. He he's you know there's he's he's reaching out to all these young players and talking to them. And uh, I think he's benefiting you know from that exchange as well. So you know those are wonderful qualities to have uh, to have you know uh, and 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 a something that he was never really capable of before, which I get it. I mean, most people sort of soften, you know, temperamentally as they get a little older, but, uh, but Tiger has still got, you know, a lot of fire, uh, any, and you can see it, but, uh, but there's a softness to him. So I could see, I could see Tiger Woods being the star. Tiger Woods, side. Tiger Woods is the MVP for Furyk's side. Who knew that we would be having that discussion at any no, point no, this it's year? It's, it? been, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing year for him that every single time it seems like he, he reaches a peak, he's been able to push through and get a little higher and a little higher. And this is certainly uh, one more mountain that they're going to try and climb, he and the other 11 Americans. But, uh, Brandel, I feel like we could sit here and dissect questions up until the first match on Friday. There is so much... To look at this is so such an anticipated event and for all the right reasons it's going to be a great display and always one of the mm -hmm. most fun most fun weeks on the golf calendar even though it only comes around once every two years yeah a quarter of a decade is a long time to wait for a united states victory on foreign soil uh, you know i'm sure they're going to go over there hungry i'm sure they're going to go over there you know uh, knowing that on paper they've been the favorite many many times and left there with with uh, without the Ryder Cup trophy, so you know they they should be in the right frame of mind. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not uh, they can find any semblance of uh, a form off of the tee over there, and that that it really is going to boil down to that and uh, and who they uh, who they find uh, some form with in the foursomes picks. 
It's certainly uh, going to be interesting. As you said, it's been a long time since those sweater vests of the Belfry in 93, but perhaps this is the team <laughs> for the U.S. side to get it done. But, uh, Brandel Chambly, thanks again, as always, for, for joining us on the podcast. Remember, if you're listening to this, log on to GolfChannel.com, read Brandel's column on the Tiger and Phil group dynamic situation that, that Jim Furyk is going to wrestle with this week in terms of how to use and how to implement the two biggest names and two biggest stars on the U.S. team. Brandel, thanks as always for, uh, for joining us for another fun talk. Thank you for having me, Will. It's always nice talking to you. All right. Well, this has been the Golf Channel Podcast presented by Top Golf. Remember, go to golfchannel.com slash podcast. Download this episode and previous episodes, Art19, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us searching with the keyword Golf Channel, and uh, you can go back and we've had a few installments with Brandel. You can listen to those, you can listen to this one, and have yourself a day. But Brandel, thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Will Gray. We'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.